Hi, my name is Alain Vigneault, coach of the Flyers. You're listening to Snow the Goalie. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for Snow the Goalie, which we usually call the only Flyers podcast, the People's Podcast, the Players Podcast, the Prognosticators Podcast, Pedialyte Podcast, Presidential Podcast, but no, no. Nay, nay. Nay, nay. Flyers fans have begged. They've pleaded for years. Listen to our cries. Listen to us. We want to talk about the orange and black. And now, thanks to our friends at 610 ESPN Radio, you now have that chance. I'm Russ Joy. That's Anthony Sanfilippo. We're about to enter our second year together covering your team, your town, your Philadelphia Flyers. We have a lot to talk about. Absolutely, Russ. The Flyers started abroad. They're on their way home. And we are going to provide, I think, arguably the best Flyers coverage in all of Philadelphia. And we are very excited to be on the airwaves at 610. Is this the the only Flyers radio show? I believe it is. Yes. Just checking. The only radio. Look, I was going to look up a bunch of adjectives today that started with R. And I thought, you know what? I don't know how well uh, the real radio show, (laughs) the regalia, it just, the regal Regal. radio show. (laughs) But I'm very excited. And. And there's plenty to talk about. Of course, uh, the Flyers started as part of the Global Series. They went out, and I think in, in considering what the preseason was for this team, and we said on our show, on our podcast, Snow the Goalie. Find it over on, uh, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, everywhere else. <laughs> um, we talked about the fact that the preseason record doesn't really indicate much. Nope. And a lot of fans who were losing their minds about it we said, you know, maybe pump the brakes a second. Let's see once the games actually start to count. Let's see how this team comes out. And I think it's fair to say that they exceeded our expectations. And they punched Chicago in the face. And quite frankly, I think they exceeded my expectations. I think they came out. And they have uh, certainly taken the message that their head coach, their new head coach, Elaine Vigneault, who you heard off the, uh, the start here. Our buddy it, A.V. They took his, uh, his message to heart. Yeah, you know, it was a really nice start for them, Russ. I mean, the game against against the Blackhawks over in Prague, um, the Flyers pretty much dominated for three periods that game um, and, and really played, uh, I don't know, a, a different style. I mean, it was, it was fun to watch the Flyers play. It, they were a real aggressive forechecking team and, and not overly aggressive because we've seen in the past when they've tried to do this, right? They've tried to be more aggressive and, 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 and you know, and pressure the puck that they would make a lot of mistakes behind it okay and 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 always led to odd man rushes the other way or turnovers and then you didn't really always have a good goalie uh in that to be able to make the save that you needed them to make and it was a heartbreaking uh you know situation where they would give up a goal and blow a lead and lose a game um this was a little bit different it felt a little bit different it looked a little bit different the style they were playing it's one game and it's against the chicago blackhawks who are not a great team by any stretch of the imagination okay so it's just one game and there were still a couple of small little things that they need to clean up but on the whole the flyers look like a fun team to watch for 60 minutes and i think that in and of itself is the the first step toward recovery from what has been the malaise of the past seven seasons with this organization. Before we get into anything else, I think, you know, just for those who are listening over the air, might be listening on 610ESPN.com stream, feel free to give us a call, 
four one. You say that so with such, like that was very sultry of you. Thank you. I like to think that there's like a little bit of bass going on now. This is this is nice. <laughs> Russ Russ gets behind a microphone. All of a sudden, he drops like two octaves. There you go. Oh yeah. Um, 9941 Ooh, I like it. <laughs> you know what else I like? I like uh, I like Travis Konechny. Dude I, had a game. Man. A, a guy who I think certainly endeared himself to fans uh, last year. The outdoor game against Pittsburgh Penguins. We saw uh, a guy who I think a lot of people thought was a spark plug on this team. If you remember, he, uh, he went after Evgeny Malkin, called him a nerd. Yeah. A couple of expletives in there. <laughs> um, Konechny, I think, is a guy that a lot of the fan base feel like resonates with this fan base, with this city. And, you know, we had talked all throughout the, uh, the offseason about when will Travis Konechny sign? What kind of deal will he get? Ultimately, he signed a six-year, $33 million contract for an AAV of $5.5 million for those who are uh, – not so math inclined. And I, I know that I worried initially that Konechny holding out in a training camp might have impacted the immediate impact that he would have for this team. And I'm glad I was very wrong about that because I think, I mean, let's just talk six minutes into the game, roughly. A nice four check. It starts with Oscar Lindblom, another player who I think a lot of fans are expecting a lot from this year. Oscar Lindblom starts hard on the four check causes the defenseman to turn the puck over. Who comes flying in like a bat at a H-E double hockey stick? I don't know what we're allowed to say on the radio. And, of course, it's, uh, it's Travis Konechny. And Konechny goes right in, scores the first goal, six and a half minutes in. On the forecheck, an exciting play, something that, quite frankly, we didn't see enough of last year, you can argue over the last couple of years, certainly has to you know, make fans feel pretty positive about Travis Konechny and his immediate impact and what he might bring to the team this year. You know, I I've watched Travis Konechny play now over the last few seasons, and in the more I watch him, the more I think he's turning into Danny Briere. Ooh, I you know, like okay. I mean, I, I I know that their games are are a little bit different. I mean, but not completely. Like I I watch I watch him play, and I see the things that he does, and I I see a lot of Danny in there. Konechny's got a little bit more. Um, it's a little bit grittier of a player, um, for lack of a better word. Uh, but at the same time, he's got that Briere scoring touch. He's not afraid to go into the greasy areas to to score goals. He's got a little bit of an of of a of a of an edge to him. Um, I I just like I just like the way he's been that he has been progressing, and I really liked what. Vino did by putting keeping him with Katoria. So one thing I could tell you is I know NHL coaches, you know, you always talk about lines. What are the line company? Line, 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 line. But coaches, believe it or not, prefer pairs for forwards. They prefer to pair guys together. Okay. So to me, I was happier with the notion of pairing Konechny with Katoria as opposed to Giroux with Couturier. Because Giroux's going to automatically make whoever he plays with better, right? Sure. Couturier, at this point, after the last couple of seasons, has turned into a player who's going to make other players better. Okay? He's their best two-way player. Right. He's the best, I, Flyers, I, I best he two-way player. Right? So the notion, what I think is really like kind of a smart thing, is that they put, that he put Kevin Hayes, who we were unsure about, with Giroux. 
because you know Giroux is going to is going to make Hayes a better player. Sure. And you keep Konechny with Couturier because you know Couturier will make Konechny a better player. And subsequently, you put Oscar Lindblom on that line, who's defensively responsible as is, another good two-way player. And I think that's a really nice second unit. A really nice second unit. So that you could play Giroux and Voracek as your two veteran scorers with Hayes at the top and have that good second unit of Couturier, Lindblom, and, and Konechny. And I think it's a, that's a good top six. It makes me a little concerned that you have a $7 million player like James Van Riemsdyk on the third line. And I'm not sure how that will play out long term. But Van Riemsdyk actually had a really good game. No one really talked about it. I mean, I know I wrote about it in the in in my recap of the game. But JVR had a really nice game, a two way game, and it, that's something that you don't normally think of with him. Um, so again, I, I I look at it and say, for one game, sixty minutes and sixty minutes only, I I think that Elaine Vigneault pushed some good buttons. With the forwards. I wasn't as in love with the defensive pairs and, and how the defensemen played overall for the most part. I mean, they were okay. But they weren't they weren't great. But they weren't terrible. They were just okay. But for the forwards, I, I think that I think he did something good right off the hop. Well, and I think we'll get to the defensemen a little bit later because uh, the one guy that I think everybody had hoped would assert his dominance and return to the form of two years ago was Ivan Provorov. We'll get back to, to him in a little bit because he um, was not he, very good. He did not have a strong first game. Um, just kind of to a point that you were making a little bit ago, it's, it's one thing to say that, you know, a coach looks to have pairs that he likes to roll with. That was something that we had heard about with Dave Haxall. I think it was even something that when we interviewed Scott Gordon, um, at the end of last season, it was something that he had even kind of referred to. It was nice to see that there wasn't much in the way of splitting up that line that Couturier was on. Um, Lindblom was, uh, Lindblom led time on ice with Couturier just under 16 minutes in that game. And Konechny was, was four seconds different. I mean, it was effectively the same time, right? Um, when, when you look at the decision to move Sean Couturier off of that top line with Claude Giroux, I think it was a little bit of a shock to the system initially because we've seen what Sean Couturier is capable of as a top-line center on this team. He was so good for them that it was able to move. they were able to move Claude Giroux out to the wing and to not have to worry about a lack of organizational depth at center. Mm -hmm. And you look at it now, and we know that Sean Couturier is able to, as a two-way player, is able to make up for any kind of defensive deficiencies that his linemates might have, which allows them to play a little bit more freewheeling, which I think fits perfectly with guys like Lindblom and Konechny. That's not to say that they're bad defensive players by any stretch, but I think it has to free them up a a bit knowing that they they can play to their strengths and that they know that, at least from the center position, they've got someone who can, who can track back for them if, if need be. That allows you to free up that top-line center spot for Kevin Hayes, who I don't think either of us would go out of our way to say is a legitimate 1C in this league. But he's certainly a good enough player that if he's flanked by Jake Voracek and Claude Giroux, he's going to be able to do more than enough to justify being in that spot if it means that Sean Couturier is able to go down to that second line and now all of a sudden you're getting legitimate production out of that spot, whereas in the past, I think it's pretty safe to say that the, the second line has been iffy on this team for, for a couple of years. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the thing is, is I mean, 
you know, you look at that line, Giroux, Hayes, and Voracek, it was not great against the Blackhawks. I mean, to be, to be fair, Hayes was the best of the three players, I thought, on the line, and, and, and more so because I think I just noticed him because he played in every situation. Like, he played five-on-five, five, he played the power play, he was on the PK, um, and he wasn't bad. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't great, but he wasn't bad. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think ultimately you've created better depth by spreading your talent out over two lines. You just have. And, you know, Couturier is now at a, at a point in his career where he can carry a line on his own. He doesn't need to be carried like he used to be, uh, offensively anyway. Um, and now he's able to do it himself. He's He's got that Bergeron in him. Like we always talk about, we always, we've compared him to Patrice Bergeron for several years now, but I mean, he's got that in him. He's got that ability to to play anywhere in your lineup that you need him to he's that good um so he's making other people better it's worth stretching the lineup out it really is um and and it's a good thing for the flyers you know when you look at it that way and i I don't know i we'll we'll see how it plays against the devils on wednesday night um I thought the Devils would you know, would would get off to a good start. They've struggled. They have twelve goals already um, in their games, uh, so they've they've really not been as as good defensively as I thought they'd be. Um, but at the same time, we'll we'll see how how they match up with them. I I, I gotta like where the Flyers kind of are to start the season up front. It's kind of funny, isn't it? Because we up spent- front. We spent so much of the off season just trying to to preach patience. I think with the fan base because I I, I think when you went into this off season you had thirty million dollars plus in cap space, albeit you had RFA's that you had to resign. Yeah, um, I had jumped up and down for months saying that there had to be at least one big restricted free agent signing in this league. Otherwise, it's just time to abolish it from the CBA entirely, right? Because if you if you don't see with a a talent pool of young forwards who put up roughly 100-point seasons in, in both uh, Braden Point and Mitch Marner, you start to think to yourself, like, at some point, if we don't see an RFA offer made, the offer sheet accepted, and a guy changing teams, then at some point, is it even worth having in the CBA? I don't think for the Flyers, I, I don't think they ever got to a point where they were going to be in at risk of losing any of their RFAs. Um, we came into this offseason thinking, like, maybe they would go out and make a big splash. Who would the big splash be? And outside of the RFA pool, I don't really think there was anybody that was ever going to be realistic, right? Panarin was never going to come here. You right. weren't you because of the the level of play that you got from Carter Hart, you no longer had to consider getting in or or even beginning to dip your toe in the pool to bring back Sergei Bobrovsky. There wasn't going to be that big name guy. When Kevin Hayes signed, we had said that, you know, this guy's probably a two C on a on a really stud or, or packed roster, maybe he ends up being like a two-and-a-half C. He's a tweener. You would hope that a Nolan Patrick would be able to take that next step, maybe a little bit of pressure off him. He was going to be able to jump up and really claim that 2C spot as his own. And then we saw what happened recently, the diagnosis of the migraine disorder, and we don't really know what we're going to get from him. We don't know when he's going to be back joining this team. I think if you had said to this fan base or you would said to us at the beginning of the, of the, uh, the offseason that, this team's really not going to go out and make a huge splash. They're going to make a bunch of moves around the fringes. They're going to go out. They'll they'll make a trade. They'll get Kevin Hayes. They'll sign him before he hits free agency. That's going to be your big move. And, of course, you're going to go out and get Elaine Vigneault as your coach. 
you know, I, I don't know if, if the fans or if we would have been excited or if we would have expected what we saw in no. that first game. And all of a sudden, it's almost like we're kind of changing our tune a little bit insofar as we're saying we're not, we're not saying this is a cup contender right now. No. But it is po- it, I, I have to view it as a positive that we're seeing something that looks like a tangible and repeatable set of, of playing uh, and, and like strategic decisions on the part of AV we're seeing a system that's being implemented. We're not seeing that kind of yeah, issue I, up front of learning a new system. Like I think so. I mean, I think that this is – I mean, that's that's the one thing. You know, when you have a good coach and you see something and you say, well, that's different than what it look, used to look like, you assume that for the most part it's going to look like that, right? I mean, yeah, there's going to be games where the, the Flyers are not great and they look disjointed. They look out of sorts. That's just the nature of you know ebbs and flows in a in a hockey season, so that's going to happen. But I'll tell you, like there were not times when I watched a game last season and sat there and said, "Oh, like I'm expecting the Flyers to you know they're they're playing this way and they're just going to maintain this for the entire game." Like I always had the uh, uh, the viewpoint that at some point it was going to it was going to go sideways. At some point, somebody was going to screw up and it was going to, you know, go off the rails. <clears throat> Even if it didn't, like I was always, I always had that doomsday belief just because we have seen it so many times. In this instance, just by watching the way they played in the first period, I sat there and said, there's a lot more structure to what they're doing. Just watching the game. There's structure out there. And if they play with structure... Yeah, there's going to be mistakes. Hockey's a sport that it's all about capitalizing on mistakes. But if you maintain that structure, more often than not, you're going to be successful. And so, again, it's 60 minutes against a team that's probably not a playoff team in the West. I mean, Chicago's probably like the Flyers. They're close, but not quite there. I don't know. Um, but if you're going to play with that kind of structure in that game, and you can, and you can translate that from mo- on most nights from one game to the next – You'll win more than you lose. And not only will you win more than you lose, you may win more than you lose enough so that you can get into the tournament. And we saw last year with St. Louis, all you have to do is get in and see what happens. So, I mean, it's 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 interesting, right? I mean, it's, again, it's one game. I don't want to get, I don't want to sound too positive. I, I, it's, it's rare for me to be the positive one, Russ. Um, but uh, <laughs> Ryan's, Ryan's nodding in the other room. Um it's rare for me to be the positive one, but I think that there is something there that makes me say, "Okay, I, I, I can see, I can see getting behind this." Not there yet, obviously. One game's not enough, but I can see getting behind it for sure. And of course, maybe the the guy who happened to rebound the most or had the biggest rebound within a, a stretch of a few days was Carter Hart. I mean, you you look at earlier in the week they went up against the Swiss team. Lausanne. You go Lausanne? Do you call them Lausanne? I guess it depends. Do you want to go with the French pronunciation? Would you like to go with the German pronunciation? Russ, it doesn't really matter, right? You just wanted to say the name of the team. I did. I was just so, going to call them the Swiss team. Okay. Um, by the way, uh, still waiting for a... Uh, correction? For a correction from one of the uh, our, our friends in the Flyers media who said that they were playing the Swiss national team. doesn't matter. Um, Carter Hart gets chased from net in that game. Was it second period? Gave up four goals. Brian Elliott, who didn't expect to play at all, ends up having to come in in relief. 
He goes out now. Now, mind you, I think it, up to that point it had been fifty six saves on fifty seven shots that Hart had faced in the preseason. Despite the fact that the Flyers were woeful record wise in the preseason, he had done that well in net for them. He comes out and and I would say that he didn't look as sharp as maybe we would have wanted to see him giving up three goals. I think that uh, you know I'm not a big expected goals kind of guy, but. From what I recall, I think it was the expected goals were like one point. Yeah, it was one point six nine um, goals against expected goals against. Could he have made at least one save? Would he want one of those shots back? Sure, I would think so. But I probably think, the first goal that Chicago scored. Yep. Yep. So I, I think it's safe to say that like Carter Hart seeing him bounce back, and I think maybe even more importantly, seeing the way that this team, you know, you, you know that a team social media is going to try to make everything look hunky dory, right? But I think there is something to be said for this team traveling abroad to start the season, kind of coming together. You're forced almost to have team dinners, to have team lunches, to spend every waking moment together as a, as a group. And I've got to think that as you're trying to integrate new players, especially a lot of vets, you think of the Niskanens of the world, the Bronze of the world. It's got to be nice to, to have an opportunity to get together, to not live the kind of segmented life that you do, especially when you play at home and, and you don't necessarily have to spend as much time together as a team. I think when you see that team go abroad, you see them bounce back. You saw it in that game when Carter Hart got pulled. All of a sudden, a flyer was lit, especially under Claude Giroux. In that game, uh, it, it felt like the team kind of felt bad that they let Carter down. And you started to see them fighting back and, and really kind of kick it up into gear. And then you come out against Chicago, and, and I think, you know, all things considered, you could get down when your young goalie gives up that, that first goal. But they didn't let it bother them, right? Mm-hmm. And then they eventually, you know, come back get another one, and, and they ice the game. So I, I feel good. I feel good right now. Well, I'm glad you feel good, Russ, because we're going to talk about something that well, wasn't as great. We'll talk a little bit about the defense when we come back on the <sighs> other side. If you want to give us a call, 888-728-9941 is the number to get in here on Snow the Goalie Radio on 610 ESPN. Every day, the men and women of the United States Marine Corps demonstrate their commitment to defend the American way of life. Since 1775, we have served our nation as a force in readiness. From combat operations to humanitarian assistance in every corner of the world. No matter where the mission takes us today or wherever our country needs us tomorrow, We always remember the land we call home. As Marines, we take a stand for each other, for our nation, for us all. The few, the proud, the Marines. Introducing the YMCA. What, you already know the why? Or so you think. Sure, you know the why for a swim, a workout, even a game of hoops. But did you know we're more than that? We're a cause. When you take your jump shot at the why, someone else is getting job training. Take a cardio class while kids are in an after-school enrichment program. Practice your downward-facing dog as a teen practices her leadership skills. That's the why. We work with people no matter their age, income, or background and give them the opportunity to learn, grow, and thrive, all with one simple goal in mind, to strengthen our community. And we've got so much more that does just that 
So while you might think of the Y as that place for lifting weights, we're also about lifting entire communities. Introducing the Y. We're so much more than a place. We're a cause. Visit ymca.net slash more. Oh, I love that intro music. And we are back here. Snow the Goalie Radio on 610 ESPN Philadelphia. Did you like the uh, the new music we had for the lead into the show? I dug it. I did. A little chili peppers? Go ahead. Tell the people why you ended up picking the uh, the red hot chili peppers on that one. Ryan, get your mic. I, I need you here, pal. Oh. I need, I need you Whoa. for a second. We're going to get our producer, Ryan Lennox. Look, he didn't even have the mic ready. He didn't so have that, his mic you ready. You caught him off guard. I caught him off guard. We'll get him. We'll get him He's up. He's running in here. into the studio. <laughs> Who's manning the board? <laughs> Who's man? Oh no, Ryan. I'm here. I'm here. I, now I got to. People don't realize the age disparity between sometimes between Russ and I. Okay, it's it's a good decade and a half. All right, but you who who've been working, who works in radio, who does some DJ work. I do. Okay, on the side. Can you explain to him why we picked? The Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, as now the, it's a week. On, on the, on the <laughs> now it's a week. You're so, throwing me under the bus. I'm not throwing you under the bus. It's me and you. We you, did this together. You love the song. It has the word snow in it. Oh. You've seen Red Hot Chili Peppers, I'm sure, a bunch of times. Saw them actually with their uh, Blood Sugar Sex Magic tour uh, in 1992 uh, at American University when I was in college. The first album When I was out. two years Fifth old. Fifth grade, man. That oh, was yeah. a wild time for me. <laughs> Fifth grade, man. Yeah. Grade. I, um, I really am the baby. This is great. But it's, the song is called Snow. Yeah. Right? And he does. he's like, uh, is that the song you picked when we came back in? He's like, yeah, that's the song you picked. I'm like, dude, you don't get it. Nostalgia. You should have strangled them with the headphones. Yes. I'm gonna, you know what? I, you know, the, the one thing I will tell you, Ryan, I'm gonna, with this show especially. We've got we to spice it up. Yeah, we're gonna need, I'm going to need you to kind of, you know. Because yeah. we, oh, here we, we go. We need a little bit of education for yeah, Russ sometimes. He needs it. I could tell. You could tell, right? Yeah. I mean, Bob does great. too on the previous show, but I mean, that's a whole different animal. Yeah. It's, it's, there's a different approach to baseball. You know, baseball people are, take themselves a little bit more seriously, very right? An, very analytical. Very analytical. Absolutely. Us, us, very us, boring, when we, fun, I change yeah. hats and I put the hockey hat on. Yeah. It's a lot more fun and laid back so we, we, yeah we can have gotta, a lot more gotta fun get really it. serious for the uh the 70 year old average uh baseball fan yeah but you can, you can let it let your hair down a little let bit my hair for, down for right, what, what little hair i have we'll let it down all right but it's, it's good so anytime you feel you want to turn that mic on in there shake it up and shake it up and all chime right. in you got it. I like Here to we shake go. it up. Yeah, right. we Good. let you. You're, you're loud on this show. I do All think right. it's nice, though. Now, now, Ryan, you I, you weren't with us when we've uh, done some interviews in the past, and of course, those videos are on on the uh, the Crossing Broad YouTube channel. But Anthony once uh, showed up for an interview. <laughs> I think it was was it the one that we did with uh, Ron Hextall? Uh, it was either Hextall or Bob Clark. I forget which one. So we we know that we're going to do video. Yep. Anthony's in the midst of getting himself ready for a show. I don't remember what the show was, but he was he was playing somebody who it was it was somebody who was a, an inmate, right? That was that was the thing. Yes. So he's he's grown out a beard. Never seen the guy with uh, with facial hair. Frightening. It was it was slightly frightening, but he's got now you can see you can see now. Anthony has has hair. He has some mm-hmm. right up top, <laughs> and it's not that hard to style, right? It's yeah. it's not going to take that much time. No. You think the guy would have gotten in front of the mirror, just applied a little bit of product, just a little just bit, a tiny little bit. gel, yeah. little spray, even some water, yeah. just like mat it down a little bit. No, he's got these like wispy curly cues going on up top, and then he gets mad at me at the end of, of the interview for saying, you know, why didn't you tell me my hair looked horrible? 
well, what am I going to say? The guy's on stage all the time, right? You would expect that he might have, you know, taken think, the moment to would get you be ready. Crossing like a guy line by saying, "Hey, bro, your hair looks bad." No, it's it's one thing to do. You know, you're right. You're right about that. No, on normal circumstances, you wouldn't okay. do that. Okay, is it? You wouldn't do that under normal but circumstances. But you're on TV. We were being videoed. A man's got to look his best. And he should he should have said to me, "Hey, partner, have you checked yourself in the mirror today?" And I would have realized, oh, no, I forgot to brush my hair this morning. I just left the house in a rush. I forgot to brush my hair. He doesn't say the whole. We actually drove over together that day. The whole ride over so doesn't sad. say anything. Wow. Doesn't say anything during the whole interview. That's not a good friend. right? That's there. not a good friend. No. Listen, I wanted him to present himself the way that he wanted to present himself. He had every Ouch. opportunity to get in front of uh, in front of a mirror. Yeah, and it's just what it is. What it is, but he looks great today. Thanks. I'm really, I'm you really proud of him. He's wearing a beautiful. What is this? Like a salmon colored shirt. Salmon. That's this is beautiful. fantastic. It's a salmon shirt. Yes. Not going with the three buttons on the polo shirt. Not going all the way up. You don't He's, go all the way is, up. I don't like the all the way up look, but yeah. I know that there are some who do. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Uh, listen, I, I think it's good. I think that from time to time you're going to have to chime in here because I'm going to need backup because Anthony sometimes he he misses he misses things. I don't know if he misses things. Anthony is a very angry person when he gets on the radio, and I love it. I love his rants. I love when he goes on a, like a five-minute rant, and then you don't even know what he's talking about. But you listen just because like his voice is going like deeper, but like louder, and you're like, "Ooh, he's very." Angry. He becomes he kind of like he becomes Bernie Sanders, a little bit. He just gets angrier and angrier. Well, as long as I don't have a heart attack, it's oh, all that matters. Kind of reminds me of my stop. parents when they would see my report card: study hall good, <laughs> gym good. Foreign language, math and science, D's. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, uh, then, not yeah. good. And then the screaming starts. There's spitting coming <laughs> out. Although I will say this. I will say this. Russ doesn't drive me as crazy as Rob Motti used to drive me Oof. on the radio. Do you like the fact that I, uh, I, I went to the uh, Rob Motti Memorial Urinal? Right before we hit the air. Yes, today. that was yes. good. I remember hearing that uh, he, he used to take pee breaks um, right before going on the air. So. He has it autographed on the side of a most uses in a 60-minute show. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you mentioned just a little bit ago, you said getting Ds in different subjects. Yeah. And, of course, the Flyers have some D men that I think oh, are a great concern. Oh, look at see this. Crossover. Look at look this at transition. That. You see that? A real radio pro right here. Thank you. <laughs> I think... When when we went into this off, one of the things yeah. that when we entered the off season that we said was of concern was what was going to happen with Ivan Provorov because the, there had been rumors going around last year negotiations had stalled when Ron Hextall was still the GM it was something that I think we tried to get an answer out of him when we had him on our show um, and we didn't get anywhere with that one of course he was course. very to the, you know guarded uh, kept everything to the chest. The negotiations had stalled with Hextall. There's a regime change. Everybody in town knows how much this team has relied historically. Time on ice, always the time on ice leader for this team in Ivan Provorov. A new regime comes in. Chuck Fletcher's brought in as the new GM. You think that, like, okay, maybe this was on the organization. Maybe it was on Hextall's side, and he was just he was trying to to squeeze the uh, the the financial expenditures right he was pinching pennies on this one and chuck fletcher is going to come in and he's going to get this guy locked up but what was the problem last year it was a roller coaster ride i mean this belonged to dorney park ivan provorov was a shutdown defenseman one game <laughs> dorney park right right dorney park Wait, dorney. you want you want, you want, Hershey? You want some dutch wonderland what do you want you want some knobles huh you want to go up and spend 250 to ride the roller coaster all right so 
there were some days that Ivan Provorov was the shutdown defenseman that you would expect him to be, and there were other days that he looked absolutely lost. He looked like like a like a fawn, like a baby deer on on ice on skates. Right? They don't end up signing him last season. We hit the off season. There had been rumors that the agent was looking for somewhere. Could he? Could he possibly come in asking for nine million a year? Could ten million? Could that really? Because of the time on ice, because he had been the shutdown defenseman, because the Flyers relied on him so heavily. Could they look for a number, an astronomical number like that? And then ultimately what? We get right to training camp. Ivan Provorov is a workout freak. He's a hockey freak. He loves the game. Ivan Provorov signs. And, and where I think Travis Konechny might have gotten a little bit more per year, $5.5 I think that if you had con- gone into the offseason and, and told me that Provorov was going to sign a deal that, that netted him, what, six six and a half, six point seven five. Mm-hmm million per year would I be happy with that I'd be ecstatic right the deal I think so much of it hinges on is he the guy from two years ago the shutdown defenseman that we expected him to be and him to continue to develop into or does he become more like the guy that we saw last year where he's up he's the highest of highs and not necessarily lowest of lows but is an average defenseman at other times if he's a good defenseman 6.5, 6.75 million a year, not a bad cap hit, especially knowing that a couple years from now, the league's going to have new TV revenue coming in. The salary cap will hopefully rise. You're going to be talking about cap percentage versus just the raw number. At some point, Ivan Provorov, even as a slightly above average defenseman, will be well, well worth this contract. But my God, if he ends up going back to form, if he becomes that shutdown defenseman that we had gotten so accustomed to seeing a couple of years ago, and even in certain stretches last year, he becomes almost as big of a bargain as Sean Couturier has proven to be. Does he not? Yes, but he's got to get back to that, Russ. And, you know, I still think he will. Um, I'm not souring on Ivan Provorov by any stretch of the imagination. I think he ultimately will be that guy. Um, I, I actually, if you recall... We did a list of um, – Kevin Kincaid did a list for on Crossing Broad last year. I think it was uh, top 25 players in Philadelphia right now. And uh, oh, we, got, we got into it. We, we had a big discussion about where Provorov fit and did he fit on that list. And I argued strenuously that Provorov, in my mind, will be a, at some point a Norris Trophy candidate okay so so I still feel that Provorov's going to be an elite number one defenseman in the NHL first period against Chicago on Friday he was far from that he had three bad turnovers including one that led to a goal uh just didn't look himself didn't look right kind of looked a lot like you know the struggling Ivan Provorov from last season over the final two periods, he was a little bit better, but still wasn't great. And uh, overall, I would consider it a you know like a C minus game if I was grading it. Um, and again, it's one game, so you don't make anything of it other than just it being you look at it in the vacuum of it being one game. But he does need to start showing something pretty soon uh, that would remind us of. Ivan Provorov 2017-18 season. Um, because if not, if he goes through a stretch of, you know, 
10, 15 games here to start the season and he looks more like the guy from last year than he did the season before that, then you got to start to wonder what the heck's going on because he got his money, got his contract, doesn't have to worry about that anymore. He just needs to go out and play hockey. If if there is a if there is a problem, what is it? And 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 can it be rectified? Just looking here now, um I like Corsi as a stat, I like Fenwick as a stat. If you look at where Ivan Provorov landed, now now granted, led the team in time on ice, 23 minutes, just shy of, of 24. His Corsi 4 percentage was 57%. That puts him behind Matt Niskanen, who the team went out and traded for. Somebody that we said would probably come in and, and be some kind of a calming force on this defensive core, where we kind of thought going into the season maybe it was going to rely heavily on their youth, on the Travis Sandheims of the world. We thought that it, that um, Phil Myers was going to be on this team. We'll get to that a little bit later. Niskanen ends up, he's at 69%, roughly, Corsi 4. Travis Sanheim, who I think was arguably the team's best defenseman last year, despite uh, Radko Gudis won that award, if I recall correctly. Rest in peace, Radko. Yeah. Hope you enjoy where you're at. Um, Travis Sanheim was right in line with Niskanen. Provorov, uh, for, for, just for you, just so you know, for my money, Sanheim was the best defenseman in the gaming in Chicago. Okay, that just I throw that out there. I thought Sanheim had a great game. When you want to compare what kind of an impact, at least, and look, it's 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 cherry picking, right? It's one stat, but in terms of Corsi four percentage, Ivan Provorov was a mere two percent higher than Shane Gostisbehere. And you think about that. I mean, now Gostisbehere is obviously a guy who likes to drive play. He's an offensive defenseman. But these numbers aren't great. And Provorov is a guy that, in order for him to be worth the money that he's making, in order for him to be the ultimate steal, he's got to become a guy who can be the best all-around defenseman on the team. He's got to be a guy that they can rely on in all situations, and he's got to be a guy who can drive play. He's got to be a guy who's, quite frankly, he's got to do better. Um, now, the question can be, is this just an over-reliance on one guy? Are they playing him too much? Has every coach that he's had playing him too much? Do they need to rotate in a guy like Travis Sanheim to play a little bit more? I mean, he wasn't that far off. Well, they played together. Yeah. So I'm looking at comparing the the top four that we've got. Provorov, just under 24 minutes. Niskanen, 20. Sanheim, about 20. Braun, about 20. Are we looking at a situation where the, the top two defensive pairings are going to have to play consistently dead even? and that third pair gets no time whatsoever or gets minimal time, are we looking at a situation where we believe that at some point this third pair is going to be able or should be able to get some more time? It starts to take a little bit of the pressure off of Ivan Provorov having to be that you know, 25-a-minute guy. I don't know. <sighs> I, no. I, so I, the way I look at it, Russ, is I think that we're looking at a situation where – Provorov has to be the guy who who leads your team in minutes. He's got to play the most. Okay, the only situation that the only situation that I um, am not a fan of, to be honest with you, is that they don't use Sanheim on the power play at all. I understand Gossespierre has got to be on the number one unit. I don't like Provorov ahead of Sanheim on the number two unit. It's strange, but other than that, like Provorov's got to play the most. Um, and so, you know, I don't want to burn him out. I don't want to play him 27, 28, 29 minutes in a game. But 23 minutes, that's not, that's not a ton. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, for a number one defenseman, that's fine. 
You know, I he should be playing that, and and so therefore, I don't want them to even it out. I'm not a I'm not a fan of the depth of the defense. I mean, it's better this year than it was last season, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I want those guys playing more and less Provorov. I want Provorov to play at Provorov level. You know what I'm saying? That's that's but what, what if, I want. What if your option is to play him closer to 20 minutes a night, and he's that lockdown guy? Like, what if it's is it a fatigue thing? How can it be a fatigue thing? It's game one of the season. It's it a long trip. Oh, man, I don't care that they were playing in Europe. That's, that's ridiculous. Uh, when we get back, we're going to have a call uh, on the program. Uh, We've got to hit a quick commercial break, but then uh, we'll see what, uh, see what some of the fans think. Get in line, friends, 888-728-9941. You're listening to Snow the Goalie here on 610 ESPN Radio. At any given moment, somewhere in America, a baby is taking a first step. A developmental milestone. But for too many parents, a baby's first steps aren't just a milestone. They're a miracle. These are the parents of babies who were born prematurely or with birth defects. It's a crisis affecting more than half a million babies in the United States each year. You can help them by joining volunteers like you who walk in March for Babies. The money you raise funds research and local programs that help babies overcome the challenges of premature birth and birth defects. Together, our steps make stronger, healthier babies a reality for thousands of families. Sign up today at marchforbabies.org to take the steps that help make milestones and even miracles possible. Who will you march for? They just told us right away that we're going to house you, we're going to feed you, and every single one of his medical bills is just all taken care of. They've saved my family from financial ruin. It allowed me and my wife both to focus on the most important thing, which was the health and well-being of our son. We have phenomenal research, outstanding clinical care, and the generosity of public, which allow us to treat patients regardless of what it takes. And that's what makes St. Jude so magical. At St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, families never receive a bill for treatment, travel, housing, or food, because the only thing a family should worry about is helping their child live. Doctors send us the toughest cases to be treated at St. Jude, and our patients come from all over the world. When we come here, they told me, don't worry, everything's been taken care of. We could never repay St. Jude for what they've given us. Because of you. Gracias a ti. Because Because of of you. you. There is St. Jude. And we are back here with our final segment of the inaugural episode of Snow the Goalie Radio here on 610 ESPN Philadelphia. Let's go to the phones. Sean, you're on 610 ESPN Radio. Hi, how's it going, guys? Good, how are you? Doing good. Uh, Hanging in there. I'm in Long Island, New York. Um, I have a, a question regarding the defensive pairings that you guys are talking about. Yeah, um, absolutely. I know. I know we have uh, quite a few offensive-minded defensemen. You know, we have some guys in the minors. Uh, we also have some stay-at-home goalies who kind of go under the radar. Um, but uh, with Hart being in net, you know, do, do you see the potential to have Morin get into? You know, game time action. I know we're kind of log jammed. And uh, do you think that they could, he could maybe offset Hag or kind of pair it to where we have an offensive defenseman so they can pinch up and still have somebody staying home? Or do you think that's going to be something to where you got to wait till 
bronze contract is up or you know, where, where do you guys stand on that? Yeah, I, th- I know I think, he's he's on his bridge deal. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think Samuel Martin's an interesting character at this point. I mean, it's it, he's so long into his development at this at this juncture, Sean. Um, I, I think that ultimately, you know, you can't go through a season with just six defensemen, right? I mean, so he's going to get time. He's going to he's going to play at some point here. Um, somebody's going to get hurt, or somebody's not going to play well, and they're going to sub him in, uh, and it might be for Robert Haig. Um, uh, the thing of it, the thing that's interesting to me about Morin is who he has to play with and, and in what situations. I, I, I don't think Samuel Morin is anything more than – I think he's at best a third-pair guy. Um, I think when they drafted him, they thought he could develop into more than that. Um, but I don't think that – I think by this point, they've come to the determination that he's never going to be more than a third-pair guy. Um, so the question then becomes – does he, you know, sub in for Robert Haig? Um, uh, but who do you play him with? Uh, and, and that's that's really what the interesting thing is, because <clears throat> I mean, Phil Myers is down in the minors right now. He needs a little bit more seasoning before he comes back up again. Uh, I don't think you would put those two together. I I, I can't see playing him with Gostisbehere because Gostisbehere needs a more reliable stay-at-home defenseman on the other side, a better skater, uh, right? Uh, so I I don't know. I mean, do you do you play him with Sanheim? But then you then you're probably not giving Sanheim enough minutes. So it's it's just that I I don't necessarily think that he's the greatest fit with the other defensemen that they have here. It doesn't mean he's not an NHL defenseman. It's just probably not the best fit right now. Yeah, because I mean, it's it's like he, he's in kind of like a bridge deal now, and I mean, you're you're working what the second year of that one, and Philly still doesn't know what his ceiling is because of injuries and and just being log jammed down in the minors for a while. You know, so it, it's kind of one of those. You know, we we all know he's a stay at home defenseman. He's that gritty guy, which ultimately you're. I mean, I, I would love to see him clearing the trash in front of Carter. You know, because if, if, if people Samarin, if Samarin were a better skater, if he were somebody that you could rely on more, I, I think then he would be worth playing. His problem, and and you mentioned this, his problem has been his lack of of availability. And I would argue that probably the best quality you can bring to any team is being available. And it, and if you can't, your career begins to get stunted, and then at some point your stock falls all the way out. Now that I, I think that maybe if you're going to try to make a case for playing Samarin, it's you're trying to get film of him being a somewhat respectable NHL defenseman in the hope that there's a team out there that decides to try to make a deal based on what they think could theoretically be Samaran's ceiling. And that might be what this team is trying to do. This might be why they're going to, to hang on to him. This is why I think AV wanted to take eight defensemen. He's talked about having eight defensemen with the team all year. I think they want to get some film on him because I think that he ends up just being somebody that they look to trade. I think you could also make the same argument about Robert Haig as well. Like I, I think Haig at some point could end up being a trade candidate on this team as well. I think that the the whole reason that Andrew Meyer or that Phil Myers, I always do that, that Phil Myers is where he is and why he's down getting seasoning is because I think they realize they'd rather get him significant minutes at the AHL level than have him be a middling player getting you know 12 minutes a game at the NHL level. At some point, they're going to have to get this sorted out. But you know, as of right now, there's not really a great pairing. There's not really a great player to put with Sam Moran that'll maximize his ability and subsequently also maximize that of his, of his uh, defensive pair. Hey, Sean, I want to thank you for being the inaugural caller here on well, Snow the Radio. Oh, you're welcome. Um, 
<laughs> it's good stuff. One other question. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you got another question. Other... Absolutely. Go ahead. Do you think Myers was sent down to the miners to prevent exposure, to kind of waste time on a contract to prevent exposure to Seattle? Um, that's a good question. Uh, I'll, I'll answer. Thanks for, thanks for the call. Uh, no, I don't. I, I think that um, Phil Myers was sent down because he did not have a good camp. I think that the initial thought was Phil Myers was going to be one of the top six um, defensemen this year, and we had we had, we had talked to uh, uh, Elaine Vigneault prior to camp starting. That was kind of his initial thought, right? I mean, we when we talked to him and um, and we heard Chuck Fletcher say it in the off season, like I mean, Phil Myers was kind of the guy who was going to be part of the of the six man unit. Um, and it just it he just did not have a just did not have a good camp, no matter how you slice it, just didn't have a good camp. And so they want to send him down and make him play big minutes with the Phantoms. So he's going to be the top defenseman with the Phantoms. He'll play twenty four, twenty five minutes a night down there. Work on a couple of things that he needs to work on, and then he'll be back. I I, I don't doubt that he'll be back sooner rather than later. And I wouldn't be surprised if Phil Myers gets recalled and plays ahead of Sam Moran. Yep. I honestly think that if you, even though Moran is currently the number seven defenseman on the Flyers, I think he's number eight on the depth chart. I think I think still Phil Myers is ahead of him. Like if some, let's just say for example, one of the f- six guys that's in the lineup right now got hurt and had a missed time. I I would bet that they would recall Phil Myers to play ahead of Sam Moran before they put Moran out 100%. there. Hundred percent. Right? Yeah, you agree absolutely. with that? So I, so I don't know. I don't think it's, a, it's for about the exposure for Seattle. I think it's just that they want him to kind of clear his head, start playing a little bit better, uh, and then get back up to the NHL. I think the defensive pairings that AV rolled out, that might be the one thing that, that I think would be safe to say is something that fans might be right to critique. I think when you – I didn't ahead. love him. I didn't love him. And, and, and I, we're not alone with this, Russ. A lot of people question this. I mean, I, I even heard Chris Terrian – who's not a critical guy on TV, uh, he even questioned this these pairings long-term. I, like, I think you know what, what Robert Haig is as a player. Yeah. I think that, for the most part, you know what Shane Gostisbehere is as a player. The hope is, obviously, that he's going to be able, in AV's system, he's going to be able to be that dynamic, quick, offensive-minded defenseman, and that he'll be paired with somebody that's defensively reliable was one of the things that AV said to us in, in our uh, exclusive face-to-face sit-down interview that we did with him, uh, where he talked about prior to camp, he viewed this defensive core as being one that has the ability to clear the zone quickly, transition quickly, and get the team up ice on the attack in a skilled and speedy manner. And when I think back to that interview with AV, who's the guy that doesn't fit that model at all? It's Sam Moran. Right. That's why, like, I, I really do think that over the next, I don't know, five or six games, this is just a, a way for the Flyers to get film on Moran and also on Haig. And I think that at some point, maybe it's 10 games into the season, maybe it doesn't happen until December, I, I expect one of those guys to be moved. And I think that Andrew, or that Phil, Andrew McDonald is my problem. That's, I'm, I am so locked in still to complaining <laughs> and being angry about Andrew McDonald's existence. Phil Myers, I think at some point, I wouldn't be surprised if in the right pairing, if Gossespierre ends up being a guy that AV sees a lot out of and wants to put somebody else with him that could be somewhat reliable, 
if Phil Myers goes down to the minors, is the number one defenseman for the Phantoms, I could see a a, a plausible way that he and Gossespierre end up playing together, and it ends up being good for both players. And he plays ahead of, like, the Hagues or the Morans of the world. So I think that that might be the one thing that we really have to keep an eye on, and it's something that I think fans should focus on for Wednesday's home opener. Who are the defensive pairings? Does AV make a change? And does it work against this... You know, well, we uh, might we might know that we, devils we might know that tomorrow. You know, the beat guys like to tweet out lines and deep pairs and everything at practice. Yeah. Although we've one thing we should learn is that Vino went into game one of the season with line combinations and defensive pairings that they didn't use at all during training camp. Yep. So I don't know how much you can justify what you're seeing in practice to say that's what it's going to be come game day. Um, maybe morning skate, but even then, I think Vino is the kind of guy who likes to play, you know, play those guess guessing games with the other team's coaches and stuff. And uh, we may not always get a a good idea of what the Flyers are about to do lineup wise just by watching practice. I think that there's there's going to be changes. Which is, I, I think, the way that it should be. Yeah, of course right? it like, should. The, the idea of playing your hand by putting out the exact lines, the exact defensive pairings in practice that's open to the media, that seems nonsensical, right? Yeah. I mean, because in the social media age, in the 24-7 sports news cycle, it like that all you're doing is giving the blueprint to the opposing coach. Yeah, right? you're giving out information. So I'm fine with that. And also keeping your guys on, on their toes. I mean, we talked about on the last episode that we did on, our, on Snow the Goalie podcast, subscribe. Uh, we talked about the fact that AV very early in camp decided, I don't need to see this massive swath of, of players. Let's trim this roster down. We need the vets to play. The vets need to play more than they might be accustomed to playing. He got these guys off balance and I think has done a very good job of reinforcing the message of the vets and the young guys are expected to put just as much work in as, you know, as one another. And I think that like his ability and him coming in with a track record, having taken two different teams to the Stanley Cup final, I think he's got some weight behind his words. I look at this and I say, you know what? If, if these guys in the early part of the season have to do a lot of feeling out where the lines are going to change, the defensive pairings are going to change as a way to not only get some film and to get some data on their side, because we know that Chuck Fletcher and his front office is very data-driven. If, if that ends up being the reason that we see so much turnover within a game, is just to try to find those optimal pairings, those optimal lines, and that's fine. You don't need to roll out every game with the exact same lineup as the game before. I think in some ways that's one of the things that was a problem with Dave Haxtell is it just became too predictable that after long stretches of things not working, it just continued. He kept running out the same guys, the same lineups, the same combinations, and at some point you've got to be willing to take that plunge because you know what doesn't work. At some point it's, it's fine. It gives the, the defense another look. Right? It gives them something else that they have to game plan for, and it makes it that much more difficult for the opposing coaching staff to, to put together a game plan. Yeah, absolutely. you're absolutely right. Um, so another thing from the, from the game on, uh, on Friday against Chicago, um, it, the, the depth lines really had a, a, a good bite to the game. Um, you had Lawton, Van Riemsdyk, and Carson Torinsky on the third line, and then a fourth line with uh, Michael Roffel, Connor Bunneman, and uh, 
Tyler Pitlick. Raffle, I thought, had a really good game. Played 10 minutes total. But I thought that he was really good for all 10 minutes. And, you know, there was a lot of people who criticized the Flyers for signing him to a, you know, a two-year deal and bringing him back. He's just Michael Raffle. But the guy is he's able to do so many different things. Nothing great, but he's not a poor player anywhere. He's just a solid player who you can rely on to do whatever you really need him to do. And so you look at you look at the game that Raffle had. I mean, his goal ends up being the game-winning goal, right? He ends up scoring on a play where he keeps the puck in along the wall, wins a, like a quick little 50-50 battle, kicks the puck to himself, protects it as he skates around behind the net. He had tried two wraparounds earlier in the game, but both were on his forehand. So this time he's on his backhand. Corey Crawford, the goalie of the Blackhawks, thinks he's on his backhand. He's not going to try the wraparound. And he does it a third time and beats him on the wraparound. It's a savvy play. It's a veteran play. And it's the kind of player that you want to have on the fourth line. When I wrote the story, I made a comparison to having a guy like that to a backup quarterback in the NFL. You know what I'm saying? Like in other in other words, it's a guy that you don't really think about until you need until you really need him. And there will be times when the Flyers will really need Michael Raffle this year, whether it's to fill in when somebody gets hurt in another spot in the lineup or to come up with a goal like that or to kill a big penalty. He'll be there to do it. And so rather than just have a fourth line that's made up of minimum salary tweeners who could play either AHL or NHL, you have a guy like Michael Raffle who's a veteran, who's better than that, who who will make your fourth line better than almost anybody else's. Well, let's also talk about one other thing. So back in, what was it, January, you sat down with uh, assistant GM, Brent Flair. Yeah. And the name Connor Bunneman came up mm-hmm. as somebody who they thought could be a guy to make a contribution to this team at some point. And Bunneman, I think, throughout the preseason showed a relentless motor. When you put together Bunneman, Raffle, and Tyler Pitlick, who many thought, including our friend Bill Meltzer, thought had a legitimate shot to be the third wing or the third line right wing. Now all of a sudden he gets to shift down to the fourth line. All of a sudden this fourth line is no longer the the Yori Laterra, Dale Weiss kind of show, right? All of a sudden it looks like a competent group of players that have a solid motor and some decent playmaking skill. That's good. That's a solid thing. That's a nice thing to build on going forward. It's something to keep an eye on. Yeah, I, I absolutely think it is. I think you're you're spot on with that. Well, Russ, we got through our first hour on the radio of with Snow the Goalie. I, I think it was a pretty successful broadcast. Look at that. Had our first call, had our first show here. You were excited. You were you got over it. You got over your your uh, your nerves and your excitement of finally. What are nerves? Over. What are nerves? I know. We got to talk to Ryan. He came in. That was fun. That was good. It's always good when we talk to Ryan Lennox who will be our producer every week. Um, but, uh, yeah, be sure to, if you, if you missed mo- you know, part of the show, you can go back and check it out when we uh, upload it as a part of the Snow to Goalie podcast, which will Bingo. still happen. Which uh, is over on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, 
Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever else you get your podcasts. Go check out the other shows on our podcast network, including Crossed Up, which uh, led into us today. Yep. Crossing Broadcast, which will be uh, showing up next week, which is our uh, our all-sport podcast. And there are a few other ones. So go check that out and check out the coverage that we're going to do, uh, of course, at every Flyers home game, the Press Row, Press show, Row show on Crossing Broad's Facebook and uh, Twitter account. We'll be live streaming every pregame, first and second intermission. Check us out. Interact with us there. Read the site. Check out the coverage. Yeah. So uh, for Ryan, for Russ, I'm Anthony. Thanks for listening to Snow the Goalie here on 610 ESPN Radio. Live from the 555 building in the city of brotherly love, this is W.